Hey folks, John here again. Today's conversation is with Keola Rains. She is a precision nutrition certified coach. Say that three times fast. And also has a master's in exercise uh, psychology. She was nice enough to sit down and talk about something that is really important to me, which is health and fitness in sobriety and recovery. It doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, and we often use sugar and bad food as a crutch, definitely in early sobriety. We talked a little bit about that and how to take care of yourself then and also to find longevity within your sobriety and your recovery by creating routines and better habits and really working on being a healthier person all around, not just not drinking. It was a great conversation. I had a lot of fun and I hope that you enjoy it. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Keola Rains. So what is your first memory of alcohol? Yeah, um, that's a good one. So I would have to say probably when I was maybe eight or nine years old, I remember being at like Christmas or Thanksgiving or some holiday at my grandparents' house. And my grandfather actually uh, re, when my dad moved out and you know went off to college, they tore his room down and turned it into a bar, like a home bar. So they turned his closet, they just took the closet doors off and that was like the back bar and he mm -hmm. just built a bar in front of it. So, you know, childhood, I knew, I knew that there was like something going on in there where like the adults were in there and we had to stay in the other room and you know, everybody was laughing and being loud. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah, probably, you know, somewhere around eight or nine years old is when I remember that there was alcohol around. And then was it, was it an issue in the house? Was there, I mean, was there, was it with parents? I know my father was an alcoholic, so it's, it's, it was definitely something that I experienced from an early age, but did it, was it something that affected you as a child growing up? Um, alcohol did it in a negative way. My dad is 25 years sober from cocaine and crack addiction. So that was like, he went to a whole different level. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, like a fun thing you know that's all I knew of it as a kid was like my grandfather made drinks and you know they had wine at the holidays and in that household at least it wasn't an issue and my parents didn't drink at all mm -hmm. so now looking back I understand what was going on when I was a kid um with my dad he was you know going back and forth from recovery to relapsing and all these different things so he was staying away from alcohol that wasn't even his drug of choice anyways right but um it wasn't something that was in my house but it was definitely around and then like my mom's family when we had family parties or holidays everybody was drinking my uncle is famous for his long island iced tea and i was curious like why is everybody talking about this tea like what you know and then as you get older my first drink was uh, I was I think like 15 14 or 15 so somewhere in high school and I definitely remember that but um it wasn't alcohol wasn't the issue in my household it was more hard stuff okay <laughs> um do you want to talk about that or is that yeah. I mean, okay so um, my my whole experience with just substance abuse recovery is it's evolving because we didn't really talk too much about it when I was a kid. So my dad, um, he realized that he was having an issue when I was probably maybe four years old is when it was like, Oh, okay. This is like, I can't just stop. Like everybody else, you know, was doing 
you know, trying some Coke. And then in the eighties, crack cocaine came out and they just, my parents just moved back to LA. And he always tells the story, you know, his friend was taking him to go pick up one thing and he heard this new thing was out and his friend was like, no, like Kevin, you don't want to try that. Like it's, that's not for you. And he was like, no, I want to try it. And then that was basically it. That led to like a 10 year cycle, you know, back and forth through recovery and relapsing. And as a kid, I guess I just kind of decided at maybe like 10 years old that I was going to definitely drink and do drugs because I was like, well, it must be fun, you know, cause he's gone for three and four days at a time. So it must be better than, you know, having your family. It's gotta be the best thing ever. So I'd like in the back of my head was like already decided I was going to try. Um, and I didn't realize until I was probably almost 30 years old, 28 years old, how traumatic that whole situation actually was because we didn't talk yeah. about it. We didn't go to counseling. We didn't go to therapy. It was kind of like, and because my dad never used drugs at home, it was always this like thing, this shameful thing where he would disappear, you know, for a few days at a time and come back. And then maybe that would happen a few weeks in a row. Then he'd be back for three months straight and every, you know, so now I understand what that was, you know, that was the struggle, like trying to stay clean. And we talk about it now. Um, and I guess I would, I'll take, you know, and I, I, I will say that I'm the kid that was like, let's talk about this. Like, it's been 25 years, you guys. And now that we're adults, those situations are starting to come up in our lives as personality things that we never faced. You know what I'm saying? Anxieties that we never realized. Like, oh, well, mm. my first therapist was like, so your, your mom was a single parent for a while. And I was like, no, my parents have been together since they were 15. She was never... And she said, well, you said your dad was in rehab. And I was like, yeah. And then literally at 30 years old, I was like, oh my God, wait, yeah. So, you know, he was gone for maybe 30 days at a time. So yeah, she was by herself with all her kids, maybe three different times. And, you know, so little things that we just, if you don't talk about it, you it, later on in life, you're going to have to deal with it in a different way versus like if it would, if it had been handled right then yeah. and there um and now we're building healthier relationships we kind of like skated on the surface for 20 years and had feelings that we all suppressed for the longest time instead of just facing them and when i was in my early recovery i was on that high horse you know for a little while and i went to my dad and i'm like dad you, you didn't do these 12 steps i don't remember you you know, writing me a letter and you didn't do it this way. And he kind of just was like, you know, you'll get it. You know, like I apologize, but also like, you'll understand, you know, I'm not going to tell you to stop doing your program that you're doing. However, you'll see later on that you might, you know, things might change. You might find something different. You might find a different path, but I'm not going to knock you for what you're doing, but also, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. Like, <laughs> do you, I'm sorry. I didn't do it your way, but um, right. You know, there, I, I'm here right now and I'm sober. So, but yeah, that was, uh, it was tough. And now I'm able to understand like how much substance abuse affects not just the person, but their partner, their kids, if they have kids, their whole family, there's stuff that I'm just now learning about. Like what Dad, you stole my, you stole money from my grandmother. Oh my God. Like that is crazy. You yeah. know, but an eight year old kid doesn't need to know 
all that's going on. No, I love uh, there's, and I've had a few of these too, where you have these epiphanies about the, you know, I, you hear the, the phrase, the tapes that are playing in your head, you know, or the, the thoughts that we have, the way we think about life, the way we think about our life. And then those moments that come, you know, that came for me in recovery and sobriety and going, oh my gosh, it wasn't like that at all. I thought it was mm-hmm. like that for 38 years and it wasn't like that at all. Yeah. And it just in it, you're like, oh, okay. And, you know, I think it's great because it gives us a little, or at least it gave me a little bit of empathy and was able to find a little bit of forgiveness to people, you know, in mm-hmm. my family, you know, mm-hmm. to, and to understand that they were human beings dealing with these struggles too. And they weren't just mad at me. Right. <laughs> they, they weren't mad at you and they all, it, they weren't, um, I mean, each person is different, but for me looking mm-hmm. at my dad and finally talking about it, I understand. Like, so he was a football coach. <clears throat> um, and I used to hate that. Like when, when he had gotten what I understood was like completely sober and finally was like on the path, he dove into coaching, he dove into church, he dove into fitness, he dove into all these things. And I'm like, why can't you just hang out with us? You know, for him, that was keeping him sober. And the other crazy thing that, and he said this, and then I felt really not bad, but like, Oh, okay, man, I get it. He was like, I just figured you guys hated me. You know, I figured I had already, you're, you're 11, 12 years old by the time I finally stopped. And I figured that you guys didn't want to have anything to do with me. I had already let you down so many times that let me just, stay away, you know, stay busy with all these other things and let, and use these other, you know, coaching kids, mentoring, going to church, exercising to keep myself sane. And it wasn't that he didn't want to have a relationship. He didn't know how he thought it was already too broken. And cause I have three sisters and a brother. So he's like, my four daughters have probably written me off and my older sister did. I mean, she definitely did, but learning that as an adult and thinking like, Oh, okay. So it wasn't like you said, it wasn't that you didn't like me or you were mad at me. You actually were ashamed. <laughs> you just figured, you know, it was a lost cause. And yeah, the, the, now I'm like, Oh, that's what was going on. Okay. You know, so it, that's the, one of the greatest things about like therapy and recovery and doing the extra work besides just staying off of your substance is that you do get to go back and sometimes it's not pretty and doesn't feel good, but you, you know, you get to, and I say that like, it's recovery. I think it is a privilege, you know, to be able to sit down and do that work on yourself and really understand what really happened, you Mm -hmm. know, whether it was with you and your parents and their substance abuse or what you were doing to people and your, in your situation. Cause I was definitely, a real rude biatch. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as a young, as a young person, when do you, you said you first had your first drink around 14 or 15. Was that, yeah. was it an off to the races kind of thing or did it take you some time to develop? Yeah, it or? was. I definitely remember thinking like, Ooh, yes, this is like, I can do this. However, my parents were super strict and I was like raised in the church. I knew what my dad had gone through and I, I didn't have enough access. And also I was like afraid of my parents. So I couldn't really, it, I wasn't off to the races then because I didn't have the freedom to, to do so. 
but once I got to college, then looking back now, I realized that, yeah, like if alcohol was available, then I was drinking and I didn't realize that it was an issue until probably like 2008. So I graduated high school, 2000, I'm 38. And, um, so from 15 until, uh, 17 or 18, right after high school, I changed schools and met a group of girls that was kind of like the party girls. And they, you know, whenever I could drink with them, I drank with them. Wasn't like drinking at school or anything like that. But I also had this thing where, and I carried that on through all the way through. I could, like, I have a master's degree. I have multiple nutrition and fitness certifications. And I was able to do all that while abusing alcohol, bartending, partying, being wild and crazy. So like in high school, you know, I could drink and do this and that. And I could still have, I still had A's. So it was like, I had this little secret life going on, but it didn't start being for me realizing that this was like, okay, this is not a really good cycle until I started bartending and having access to alcohol. And it's a whole, it's a lifestyle, you know, like obviously it's like never trust a skinny chef, you know, like that whole mindset, like what bartender doesn't drink, you know what I mean? And you, if you don't like, not only do you drink, but like you drink everything because mm-hmm. it tastes all the, you know, so that's when I remember waking up in 2008, right after I graduated, um, and I woke up at like 8 a.m. and had missed my whole mornings of session, my whole morning worth. So I had a 5 a.m. client, a 6 a.m., a 7 a.m., three personal training clients, missed them completely, just passed out drunk. And I called my boyfriend at the time and I was like, I don't want to be this person. Like I was crying, like, I was like, what the hell, like what happened? Like how did I, this is my first job as a personal trainer. And I missed all three of my appointments because I was blacked out, passed out. No, I don't want to be this person. Didn't stop right then, you know, just, I probably maybe went a few days or whatever it was without drinking. And then for me, it wasn't until 2015. Um, I got a DUI in May of 2015. And that was my first like real reality check. Like girl, you just got arrested. You drove your car off the freeway. Um, could have killed someone, could have killed yourself. Like, what the is going on? Um, and you know, the court requires you to go to AA. They require you to go to all these classes and this and that. And the insane person in me was like, I don't need AA. I'll go to the classes because I have to go to those and pay for them. They have to get signed off. But AA, it's anonymous. This is me thinking like, no, one. I went to one meeting and then I just copied the rest of the signatures because I was like, what are they, what are they going to do? Call, call AA. There's no number. There's no, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So I just wasn't ready to really, I knew that I was not having a good relationship with alcohol, but I didn't know at that time that about recovery. I just knew about sobriety, like don't drink and that's it. But I had no tools. I didn't have any, like, why did I start drinking and why is drinking feel so good? I didn't have any of that stuff. So it took me a while, you know, to get it. I think too, I was a bartender for about 12, 13 years. Uh, Mm -hmm. I worked in bars much longer than that, but uh, being behind the bar. And so I think there's this thing that happens where it becomes, it's not normal, the life of a bartender. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not healthy and it's not normal. And there are, I know some people who have been successful at it and have been very, 
um, focused and disciplined and can make money and not get caught into the traps of alcohol abuse and drug abuse and everything else that comes with it. But, you know, we, everything is, is just seen as okay. You know, you have a drink before work, you have, you know, you're, you're not off until two, three, four in the morning. So you're like, you're up drinking at like six, seven, eight AM. And so, you know, I think that really for me at least, and maybe you, you too, it accelerates the process. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, if I hadn't become a bartender, which was again, like one of those things looking back at myself, like, I'm like, I'm a smart girl. Like I, okay. So what I did was I saw the thing that I liked and then I found a way to make money doing that thing that I liked and just be in it all the time. And then it was okay because I'm a bartender. Like you said, I, ha I used to have this sticker on my tip jar that said bartender life living single, drinking double and sleeping triple or something like that. That was what it, but yeah, it's true. You get up at three, you're like amped up or whatever. And who knows what you were doing behind the bar. Like it's, it does make it okay. And that's one reason I had to, I tried a few years after I stopped drinking the first time. It didn't last. And I say it didn't last after the DUI. You would think that the DUI would be mm -hmm. enough, but it didn't last because I didn't have those tools. And I convinced right. myself like, okay, I didn't drink for eight months. Like, I'm cool. This is fine. I understand. I just can't drink that much anymore. I can't do it that much. And I'll, you know, the only, I'll only drink beer, I'll only drink wine. I won't take shots unless it's someone's birthday. Then I will take shots, <laughs> but I'll only take three shots. Like it's all these agreements you have. and they just never work. <laughs> they yeah. just, for me, they just never worked. I went back after 2015. So probably by, uh, December of 2015 or maybe the Jan, you know, the year after that, I was already back to drinking and that was almost three more years before I was like, no, this is not working. Like I am fighting with people. I am angry. I am, I can't, you know, keep, healthy family relationships. I'm on edge all the time. I got to the point where I noticed, and this is something I still like am aware of when I would open any can. Um, now, like I drink a lot of LaCroix, but when I open the can, I, that sound reminds me of, I used to drink Limeritas. And when I opened a drink and felt that like salivating, that was when I was like, this is not like, what is, what is happening to me right now? Like, I can't believe I'm so excited about having this Limerita. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. After a few months of that and just understanding and the stubborn person in me is the one that was like, all right, this is like June of 2018. I'm going to drink until December 31st. And then I'm going to get, cause I want my sobriety date to be January 1st. And then that way I'll know every year, and I mean, I did that and that is actually my date, but it's just silly. You know, like when you, it's like, we make these agreements with ourselves just to like, we give myself six more months to, to poison myself. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I mean, mm -hmm. it's insane. Like, I know the big book talks about that. There's like, there's an insanity to it. And it, either way, you know, I walked into a room on January 1st and haven't looked back since then. So at least the, you know part of the insanity got me into the room because I've made the agreement with myself. And so you had, you, you technically created this plan that included six months of, of drinking, mm -hmm. uh, miserable relationships, <laughs> hangovers, 
missed appointments and all those things. You were like, yeah. well, <laughs> and I mean, yeah. but you made a plan and that's, yes. that's, I think that that's an important point. I, yeah. you know, I don't know that, I don't, I don't know many people who would have made that plan. So, I mean, there's something to be said about, you know, your, um, stick-to-itiveness. Yeah. <laughs> it's, stu- <clears throat> it's like a stubbornness. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very hard-headed. My dad will always say that. Um, but I get it done. Like wh- when I do make an agreement, then the problem when I was drinking was that then I would change them. It was like, oh, I'm only going to drink beer and wine and I would do that. And then I'm like, then I'm only going to take shots and I would do that. And then it was just like, now, okay, I'm only going to do all these things on these days. But still, that means on those three or four days, you know, the the effects linger during the week on your attitude and your energy. Yeah. And, you know, cause then you're like craving the drink and you're like, no, I got to wait until Thursday. So then you're just on edge, you know, and I would keep them, but they were, they were silly. Not like they didn't make any sense, you know, things, but it got me, it got me to just finally like decide. I'm just the kind of person that once I decide something, I, I just, I definitely go for it. I'm very open. And that was one of my, not struggles, but one of the reasons that I've kind of ventured into different things into Sober Black Girls Club and Served Up Sober and just the whole social media space where being very vocal about my recovery is that if I had to stay anonymous, I knew I was going to be breaking a tradition by like talking about it. And, but that, that's just who I am. You know, like I'm the kind of person where when it comes to like the family trauma stuff, it's so important for me to be open about that and it's brought my family together because now no one is ashamed like i'm telling my dad dad listen you you're a 62 year old black male who survived the crack epidemic like you survived it you're still married to your same wife your kids are all alive there and you're like you need to talk about this because there's someone out there who maybe didn't or is still struggling or they chose to cut their dad out of their life and he's still alive, but he just doesn't have that relationship and maybe he's clean now and they don't even know, you know, what he went through. And we just don't talk about that stuff enough, especially in the minority community and the black community. It's like, you don't go to therapy, you go to church, you talk to God about it. And it's like, that's all fine and dandy, but therapy is different. (laughs) Like church can be therapeutic, but actually the, the, the process of therapy with a licensed professional is completely, it's a safer space. There's no shaming. So I just, I want to be open about it. I want to, I want to talk about it. I want to share about it. I want people to see that, yes, I have an education and I did all these things on paper academically, but I was struggling and people tell me like, I would have never known. And I'm like, that's the point you guys, I do. I wasn't drinking. So you would know that I was drinking. I was drinking for me and then showing up at the gym, like, Hey everybody, let's have the best lives ever. And meanwhile, I'm like, you know, pounding drinks after whatever it is. So I just want to, I feel like I, the more open I am, the more I can heal and people can see like alcoholism, substance abuse. It doesn't just look like homeless people. It doesn't just look like brown paper bag drinking and no job and this and that there are high power people that are struggling you know Mm -hmm. out there they're just they've got it down to a system they have the little boxes and they know put their tie on and show up for work and have all their and those systems can be exhausting those systems you know i i know somebody a friend of mine and he 
he had all these systems and it was long before he ever, he was basically, you know, a dry drunk. He just quit drinking and he said, I did it for five years. And you know what? I hated every single day of it. It wasn't until I got into a program recovery that I started to enjoy myself. And so yeah. he did it out of, he was, he was sober out of spite for five years mm. and he just yeah. hated it. And so I, I, I understand that, that the, those systems that are just, that you're like, well, this is what I do and this is how I'm going to do it and everything. Well, as long as I do this, then I am fine. And you don't need to tell me that I have a problem, right? And yep. <laughs> so what was different about the first time and the, the last time that you got sober? What was in the, in the decision-making process, whether it be in June or when January came around, and this is January, 2018, 19. Yeah. 18. Well, 18. 2019, um, January is when I walked into a room. 2018, uh, June is when I was like, had made that six month contract. <laughs> right. So what was different this time? What did you see differently? Um, well, it was a decision that I made. Okay. So in 2015, uh, May, when I got a DUI, that was like an, that was the wake up mm -hmm. call but I didn't decide for that to happen. I thought I was going to drive home, you know, from the birthday party at 3 a.m. with the 0.15 BAC level. I thought I'm going to go home and then I'm just going to, you know, go to sleep and whatever. I'm just going to keep, it wasn't a decision I made. So when I, when I decided like, this is not working for me, my life is no longer in control. Like I, I own a fitness studio and I have a car and I'm engaged but all of those things were not um, healthy. They were not functioning. Like, you know, the studio was struggling and I was barely paying my car note and I was in a toxic relationship. That's what people didn't know was actually happening. And I just decided like, this is not for me. I deserve better. And I think making the choice yourself is one of the things that makes it different. If somebody, if you're like, I'm gonna do this for my kids, for my boyfriend, for my whatever, you know, it may or may not work, but if you choose it for yourself, there's a good chance that it's going to work. And then uh, the biggest thing was having the community around me, like walking into that room and seeing for me, I was in South LA. So I walked into a room, which felt, it felt like being back at like church, but in a good way, not the other mm -hmm. stuff that, that I don't like about church. It was like, a, it was like, you know, older people and like the aunties and the uncles and just these smiling faces and like, welcome and so glad you came. And then hearing the stories, like, you know, if you've ever been to a meeting, it's like a common thing. I think people say like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. <laughs> you know, somebody mm -hmm. says something where you're like, have you been following me? Are you just saying this because like my family set this up or something? <clears throat> And realizing that it wasn't just me, that there's hundreds of maybe thousands of people that have had experiences just like mine. And then having just a complete stranger willing to sit with me for 20 or 30 minutes at a time to take me through the steps, like all of that stuff, that, that's what made it different. I was open to like, I'm going to, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I have nothing to lose. Literally at that time, I had lost my car, broken up with my fiance, broken up with my business partner, separated that and was just like, I can't do this anymore. Um, had to move home at 37 years old. And yeah, I had nothing to lose versus the stubborn girl who was like in the process of opening a studio and finishing grad school and things were happening positively for me but I have this, you know, drinking thing going on. So 
humility. I played a big part in it. Yeah. <laughs> I was finally humble enough to be like, yeah, this is, if I don't do this, then it's just not, this picture is not going to look good anymore. Yeah. Or it's going to look worse because the picture was already looking bad, but. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you mentioned too about being, being vocal versus being anonymous. And, you know, it's something that I, I struggled with when, uh, when we started this podcast, when mm -hmm. I, my, my buddy and I started this podcast and, um, like, what do we talk about? What can we talk about? What's right? What's wrong? And I think ultimately, you know, the, the notion that I got was it's better to talk about it than not. Yeah. You feel better. I feel like I get something out of it for him and for the people who listen. So I'm just wondering, um, you you saw that you know aa being one type of recovery and then reaching out and finding others yeah so the crazy thing is i actually was inspired to come or to go to my first meeting because a friend from high school posted his chip i think maybe two year or somewhere along there i know it was past six months it was like one or two years he posted it on instagram a picture mm -hmm. of it and i was like oh not him like no <laughs> way I, like he was the star of this team and he was the prom king and mr you know mr apple valley high school like he went to aa and he's posting about it what like okay maybe i can do it hmm. um and i didn't even realize or learn then that i you know for some that's like completely breaking against everything every tradition yeah. I remember when I posted my first chip, my third, my 24 hour one day chip, somebody who I didn't even know and was following me for probably fitness, nutrition stuff, messaged me and was like, you know, you're, that's completely against your traditions and you shouldn't do that. We're not supposed to talk about it. Da, da, da. And I was like, listen, lady, God bless you. But this, I have to do this. Like I have to do this. And I don't think like for me, I, if this is going to ruin my whole recovery, it's a risk I'm willing to take because what if someone else, just like I saw that guy's, yeah. sees this and then they go, you know, and here I am a year and a half later and I'm still on the path. I think it's tough because uh, it's like traditions are, I don't know, they're not meant to be broken. This is a new generation though. And like this generation the younger people younger than me again i'm 38 so 28 year olds they they live on social media their life is their life is show what you're doing talk about what you're doing show everyone what you're doing take pictures of your food take pictures of every move you make yourself brushing your teeth everything you're doing so and because drugs and alcohol are like just blown up more than ever before i feel like how can we not talk about the alternative lifestyle to that like i feel like we we have to put it out there um and mm -hmm. there's groups i go to where you know it's not debated but people are like we're not supposed to do that and i just say okay you know i in the groups that i can talk about it and be open then i do if i do go to a traditional aa meeting i don't make a big deal about well i post everybody so just i you know it's like there's no reason to do that now again if i had been drinking me of course i would be in there debating and talking shit to everybody but mm -hmm. i've learned now like you know there's no reason to do that let it's like if you're going to the baptist church if you're going to visit 
then follow their way. If you're gonna go visit this other, then follow their way. When you're in there, follow their way. And then when you're outside of there, you know, maybe you take a little bit of both and present it your one way. But so far, since that one time, I haven't had any um, messages or comments back. And especially since the pandemic, you know, AA has had to be moved to virtual. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's had to be for, to, for, for a lot of people, for them to be alive. There's a lot of people that rely on meetings to stay sober. And if there is no meeting, then they feel, you know, it's going to be a huge struggle. And once I started seeing that, I guess it made me feel a little bit, you know, like, okay, I'm not like the worst person ever, but also, you know, I consider myself, um, a part of both worlds. I'm not like a hardcore 12 stepper. However, if someone asks me how I got sober, I, that is how I got sober doing those 12 steps, how I recovered. Like if I hadn't done those, I don't know. I probably would be drinking again because I only know what I did last time was stop for eight months and then, you know, drink again. Yeah. I mean, I try to be, I'm always respectful of somebody else's sobriety uh, and, and recovery and, and all that stuff and their anonymity is what I'm saying. Yeah. But yeah. it's in, and I've always found in the beginning, I was not interested in inspiring anyone. I was just trying to, you know, save my own ass. Right. Right. But when you see those things, when those things come into your life and you say, Oh, that person can do that. Then maybe it's important that I share this. And I think uh-huh. that that's, that's definitely something that I have, I have found as well is that, that, these people need to know that it, that there's a way out because I don't know how you felt when you were drinking, but when I was drinking, it never occurred to me that I could quit. It wasn't even an option that like I could live without alcohol, especially in that bartender lifestyle. Right. You know, I didn't, I, I guess, yeah, the same. I can remember, um, well, that first time waking up and missing a bunch of appointments thinking like, I don't want to do this. Like, why, Mm -hmm. what is this? why is this happening to me? That was the first time I had missed something that was significant enough for me to think like, I cannot believe that due to drinking, I missed work. Like what? This is crazy. Um, and I have another journal that I I remember I wrote in 2009 that the Mm -hmm. first entry is like 2009 goals, stop drinking, stop smoking, and stop cussing. I think what it was in there. Those were my three things in 2009. And again, you know, so what, six more years went on before I, I probably had little stints here and there, but I never really thought of it as like a all or nothing. I, I think I only thought like you could cut back. I didn't really mm-hmm. think like you could actually like not drink forever. Like I was, no, right. who does that? But yeah. Um, so you are super and maybe you can explain you you were very much into health and fitness um and you have uh some you you know what you're talking about so you <laughs> i have it written down here but i imagine that you can um precision nutrition certified coach yes um and and the reason one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to you about all of this is because in early sobriety in early recovery in every single room i've ever been in there's nothing but cake, candies, cookies, <laughs> coffee, coffee with lots of sugar, which I still drink a lot of coffee, but, um, and I also, and cigarettes. Think, 
<laughs> yes, don't let's not forget the cigarettes. But the, the <laughs> sugar is the big thing that um and, and also the the lack of, of exercise I find either. Mm-hmm. But it's I think it's important in early recovery to do whatever you need to do to stay sober, even if that yeah. means candy, cookie, sugar, not moving, whatever it is. But right. at a certain point, we need to start taking our health seriously if we've quit drinking. And so yeah. that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is this, the idea of the importance of health in sobriety. Yeah, definitely. So my background, my bachelor's is in kinesiology, which is the study of human movement. My master's is in exercise psychology, which takes the mental side of sticking to something. It's exercise and sports psychology. So using visualization and mindset training um, to keep people on their routines, basically. Mm-hmm. That's what I studied all while drinking and bartending. I like paid for college with bartending. So it's kind of ironic because I'm like studying health and fitness and like boozing and using on the weekends. So an interview I did once, it was, you know, someone brought it to my attention. They're like, you've always wanted to help people. That's, it's ironic because you've always wanted to help people, but then you had this thing where you had to learn how to help yourself first. So, and now I can actually help people and it's transitioned a bit or it's opened up. I've started to realize like, this is like the sober community needs this stuff. Like not just, you know, the average person, like I can use this for, for my community. So um, in the beginning, the sugar craving part is because alcohol gets metabolized as either sugar or fat in the body. And so when we cut alcohol out, then your body's like, hello, where's sugar? Um, We were also getting a huge dopamine release when we drank as well. And sugar can do that for you too. So your brain and your body are super intelligent. No matter how many drugs and alcohol you've done, the brain is still, it's still going and, and asking for, give me that thing. So that's one of the reasons we crave sugar in early sobriety is because our body is now like, I need you to, you're going to just cut off alcohol. You didn't even like wean me off. You drank on that Thursday and now you're in AA and you quit drinking. What the hell? So what I say in my suggestion, and this is even with just a client who is coming in, not um, a substance user, be easy on yourself, but it's important to know the why first. Once you know, then you can say like, oh, that's why the room's full of cakes and cookies and all these things, because somebody was Somebody brought that in because they were craving it and they, they're sharing it, maybe knowing everyone's craving it, or it's an old timer who's like, listen, you're 30 days in, eat them jelly beans, girl, because <laughs> that's what's going to, mm-hmm. and I totally agree with you that your first, you know, maybe even your first 90 days, that is not the time to say like, I'm going to quit drinking, I'm going to become vegan, I'm joining a gym, I'm going to start meditating, I'm going to do all this stuff. Like, no, you're not. You're not. Just, you're going to stay sober let's, that's what you're going to do. And then Mm -hmm. after 90 days or 60 days, you know, maybe you start adding little things in here and there, but because we have been doing or had been doing so much damage to liver, kidneys, the brain, respiratory system, depending on what you were doing, it is, it's important to gradually start building a health and fitness routine so we can recover all of that. Start with the mind, recover the mind first and breaking the addiction or stepping away from your substance and then start with one or the other. I say pick fitness or nutrition. So I I have precision is my nutrition certification and my fitness uh, personal training is through National Academy of Sports Medicine. So I have both of those in my background 
And I think when this first started to click for me was, again, ironically enough, I was teaching a fitness class for, um, I guess it was kind of like a halfway house program. And I realized looking at their diet, I'm like, what do you guys, what did you eat? And they're like, oh, chili dogs, French fries, hot Cheetos, soda, whatever. And I'm like, how is that what they're feeding you guys? You know, like this doesn't even make any sense. And they, they said, well, we get to eat whatever we want. And yeah, your body is that junk food gives you that quick little, you know, all the chemicals in the junk food give you that quick dopamine rush or whatever it is. And it was then that I, that I thought, you know, okay, this, there's no way that you're going to be able to stay sober and do the recovery process for a long period of time if you keep eating like that and you stop exercising or whatever it is. So, something's going to have to come in because otherwise you're going to end up with diabetes. You're going to end up with high blood pressure. You're going to end up with some other ailment. And after doing all this work and sobriety and recovery, like that's the last thing you want is a, another problem. You know, this is like, yeah. we finally have like access to happiness. <laughs> you don't want to be like, now you have to take all these pills for whatever diabetes. So in the last six months or so, I just started working on, you know, really finding ways to bring this stuff into the recovery and sobriety world without it being overwhelming because more often than not, our personalities are, you know, substance users or um, substance abusers. We have that like perfectionist, overthinker, overanalyzer, you know, worried check, about- Check, check, check. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have, that's our personality. So the last thing I want to do is be like, okay, we're going to start a boot camp program. We're going vegan and we're meditating for 30 minutes a day. What it really is, is, helping people understand the why, you know, why is it that meditation could help you? Why are you craving sugar? Why will exercising for 30 minutes a day possibly help you stay sober that day? That kind of stuff versus here's your routine, follow this program. There's no one size fits all. So when I work with someone, when it comes to nutrition, I don't have any two people I've ever worked with now that have the same exact program. And I say that because years ago I did used to hand out meal plans, like eat this 9am, eat your hard boiled eggs and eat oatmeal. I don't do that anymore. And that's just from, mm -hmm. you know, experience, new certifications, but it will help you because we also, we need routines. <laughs> that is a, in recovery, we have to have a schedule <laughs> or it's, it's very helpful when we have a schedule. So if your thing is, you know, get up and do whatever your spiritual thing is awesome and you do that for 30 days, then the next 30 days, do your spiritual thing and then add in drinking, you know, 64 ounces of water a day. You do that for 30 days. And then the next 30 days, now you have your spiritual thing going, you've got your water going. Now we're going to add in a 15 minute walk and breaking it down like that 30 days at a time. That is much more realistic for us to stick to really anyone, but for us in this recovery experience to add little things and not because we're already cutting out a huge part of our routine, our substance. So then instead of me saying that now cut out, you know, cut out cakes, cut out soda, cut out pizza, cut out all the other stuff you love and just, you know, go cold, tur cold turkey and everything. It's not going to last. But when we start to gradually add in new positive behaviors, it makes recovery more enjoyable. You, you yeah. really you get to do all the things that you 
wanted to do before, but either you were too buzzed or high or whatever to actually stick to the routine. So we get to gradually build the life that we have been wanting, you know, this entire time. It's, it's just so, it's become apparent to me in my life how vital the exercise part and nutrition has become. And mm. I still struggle and I was, I've been trying to get more flexible and I tried a little too hard. And so I pulled something in my back last <laughs> week and I was, I was, I was out of work for two days and then yeah. it, still, it still hurts. And so I've also, you know, I ran a half marathon last year and I started running and I, lost, I mean, you know, I lost like 80 pounds in a matter of like 13, 14 months, whatever it is. Yeah. And so it became very clear from, you know, running and eating better. I was like, oh my God, this is so much better. And, <laughs> um, and I realized just in the last week that I haven't been running and the smoke in Northern California has not been great either. Yeah. For that. Thankfully it's just smoke where I'm at. But, um, and again, with recovery, early recovery, like with, and I think about it in early fitness, I want to mm -hmm. tell everybody, I want to be like, Hey, don't you understand? You got to get out there and exercise. You got to quit eating trash. And, yeah. and then I go, hang on a second, John, this is not how you came upon it. Nobody forced it down your throat. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's something that I, I love to hear and talk about and have conversations about because it makes, and you said it beautifully, we finally found, we finally have this access to happiness. Yeah. We don't want to throw it away mm -hmm. because of other bad habits that, oh, just because I'm not drinking, then everything else is acceptable, at least right. in the long term. Right. In the long term. Yeah, that's true. In the, in the beginning, you eat them cookies and jelly beans. You smoke a pack of cigarettes. You do whatever you have to do, but just know like this is temporary. This is a right. temporary thing. And I say it like, I think of myself as a one and a half year old and I, this is my new life. I'm one and a half years old. And you know, when babies are babies, they have, they wear diapers. They get to do whatever they want. Toddlers get to throw toys everywhere and be wild and crazy. We have to give ourselves like that grace to grow mm -hmm. knowing that then there's going to be a point. Okay. Like you're, you're, you know, three years old now, little Tommy, it's time to start learning how to do this. You can't, you can't be five years old and not potty train, you know, that kind of right. stuff. Like give yourself room, but also, and be open to growing and adding things in, but do not expect that this is, you know, the first 30, 60, or even 90 days is the time to start a whole entire new program. You already started a new program. It's called recovery. So stick yeah. to that. This is not the time to, and I mean, listen, there are some people out there who maybe they, that is just their personality and they are going to just go gung ho on everything. They're going to quit everything and start all these new things. That's, that's great. On average, right. as far as sticking to it, we need to take small bites of things. So, and that's one of the reasons I gave the pointers where it's not about never having dessert or never having those things. Maybe if, let's say you go to meetings um, three times a week. If you go to meetings three times a week and you know they're going to have cupcakes or miss, you know, whoever, sister so-and-so is always bringing that, you know, coffee cake, then you know on those days I have a slice of it just as a part of, that's just part of my fellowship. I go, I talk to these, you know, men and women, I have a cup of coffee and I have a slice of coffee cake and that's what I do on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. On Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, 
I choose not to have the desserts so that you're mm. not like, I can't ever have it. I can never little, you know, substitutions like that. Or another one of the tips was just be open to like making the stuff yourself. If you're craving a cupcake, you know, forget about hostess and Twinkie, like go down to sprinkles and get just buy one cupcake and maybe, you know, cut it into four little stuff like that. That's how we can stick with those things and not feeling like I have to start insanity. I have to start this like 90 minutes, hardcore hit interval. Why don't you start with a 15 minute walk? Like let's do that, do that for three weeks straight and then add on five minutes or, you know, making it digestible. It's just easier for us, but still putting it into your routine. That's how and, we're going to. Yeah. And that idea of routine that, um, I think for me, I had so many routines when I was drinking and I just <laughs> didn't know it. And so all of a sudden this idea of like, what do you mean I have to get an exercise routine and I, I have to, I have to meditate and I have to journal and there has to be these routines. And, and I remember going to a, um, a, uh, a refuge recovery, which is a Buddhist meeting, mm -hmm. a Buddhist centric uh, recovery. And I came home and I told my girlfriend and I said, I don't know how any of these people stay sober. There's just no structure there. And she's like, John, you're the one that needs the structure, not them, <laughs> you know? And I was th there I was like judging them on what, right. I, what I required. And so knowing that as an alcoholic for me and as, mm -hmm. you know, when I was actively and, you know, actively drinking, I had these routines, I still need them in sobriety. Yeah. And so it's, it's crucial, right? To find things that you will do every single day that yeah. are helpful. That are helpful, that are healthy. And that also, so there's a neurologist that I talked to a few, a couple of times. Um, and he explained it as we need to replace those, that dopamine, our body's going to be looking for it. So things like meditating will help replace mm -hmm. the dopamine. Exercising is going to help replace what you know, we were missing. And when we, see it that way where it's like, listen, you're cutting out this huge rush you used to get. And at first you might feel very down and very confused. And there's so many memes about like early sobriety. How many days did you spend crying in the shower? <laughs> how many did, mm -hmm. how much time did you spend in the shower showering? How much time were you in there crying? Like you're taking a huge part of your life and your routines. Yeah. It's, you know, some people's thing was go to work, go to happy hour and you know, whatever it was, you had that all set. So we are trying to find ways to just replace. It's just changing. I'm taking out happy hour. I'm putting in Zumba or whatever it is. I'm taking out this and I'm putting in eating a healthy breakfast. I'm taking out this one thing. I'm putting in going to a meeting or fellowshipping with other sober people. And you take them out, you know, you're just taking it out and putting something in that's going to be a positive thing. Also though, staying mindful that we don't, take that new thing and treat it like alcohol. Cause that's, you know, you can be yeah. exercise, you can be a crazy exerciser. You can start being obsessed with food. And that's one of the reasons that I, when it comes to nutrition, I want it to be little by little by little. So it doesn't turn into this big obsession because that's now we're back to square one. <laughs> yeah. I'm currently dealing with that with, um, with almonds and cashews has become my new, I'm eating them alcoholically as I like mm -hmm. to say, 
And so I'm like, okay, John, let's think about this. What are you doing? And I'll see myself, I'll catch myself just like grabbing them off the shelf or, you know, yeah. well, I got to go to the store and, and I got to buy it. I need, I need more nuts. Well, I guess <laughs> I can't just go to the store and buy a bag of nuts. So I'll buy a bunch of other stuff. And it's the, I'm like, John, this is how you used to buy. Well, it's how I used to buy ice cream when I was first sober. Yeah. You know? And then, and now it's like, that's how you used to buy booze. So, yeah. um, <clears throat> so I, being aware of it for me is definitely like, okay. So just find something else and maybe not mm -hmm. every day and maybe not all the time. And Exactly. <clears throat> um, it's hard with food because we have to eat. We right. have to eat to live. <clears throat> Someone asked me like, well, is sugar really, can you really be addicted to sugar? Because sugar is in fruit. So how can we, so that is a mm -hmm. little, you know, it's a tricky kind of a thing, but it, it's exactly what you said. It's being mindful. It's like, you know, when you're like, literally am i going to eat 100 almonds a day like is that what i'm doing <laughs> or do i need mm -hmm. you know so that's what it, that's everything mindfulness yeah. is everything and for us again i uh, using the like terminology and the words like we get to do these things a lot of people take it for granted that they they don't have to have the routines that we have or the, they have it and they don't even realize like how lucky and how beneficial it is to have a set routine and mm -hmm. i think in sobriety and recovery when we look at it that way like this is not a punishment this is a decision that we made to have this lifestyle any of us could decide to say like forget it this i don't want this anymore so it's it's a conscious decision to stay recovering every single day and i it's a gift you know it's, yeah. that's how i i see it and that's probably one of the reasons i'm so crazy about like shouting from the root <laughs> <laughs> it's like, give this to yourself, everybody. Believe me. It's, well, yeah. It and if somebody, if somebody gave you a gift, if you give yourself a gift, you want to take care of that gift, right? <laughs> you want yeah. to take care of that sobriety and be healthy in it. And um, exactly. So I, I have a couple questions before we end here. Well, you know, thank you. Um, I, I'm wondering, is is there anything that you you struggle with still today? in your recovery and sobriety and health and no i don't struggle my life is perfect <laughs> i have no struggles um yeah my biggest struggle is still the overthinking taking things personal mm -hmm. girl that is thinks that if you say something that i then need to defend myself and i you know those that's like my biggest character defect is um over analyzing what someone said or what someone did and thinking that it's an attack on me. So I have to learn how to, I'm still learning how to just listen to what people said and not mm -hmm. start making my whole own story behind yeah. it of like, well, this is, they might've said that, but I think what they really meant was, it's like, no, they, they meant what they said. <laughs> just, mm -hmm. So yeah, that is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all, deal with a lot of us deal with that too it's it's tough um is there any other like one simple small piece of advice you might give to people who are early in sobriety and and wanting to kick other habits or or change mm. the way that they're living or eating or moving mm -hmm. so in early sobriety i would say to just pick one thing maybe every 30 days, right? So right. we know it's not drinking. That's, that's the long-term thing. You're going to be not drinking, you know, for the long-term, but just pick one and see if you can stick with that for 30 days. So if it's journaling, then start with that. And then once you get through your 30 days of journaling, then in the next 30 days, you keep journaling. And now maybe you add in a yoga class 
and do that for 30 days. And then now you've got the yoga and the journaling going in the next. So now you're at 90, you're finished with 60 days of sobriety. Now you're going into your 90 days. Now you add in um, the healthy eating. So that might be adding in more vegetables. Mm -hmm. And then after that, the next month, you've got your journaling, you're doing yoga, you're eating more vegetables. In month number four, now you're adding in um, drinking more water. So now you've got by the, you know, one by one by one instead of, all right, I'm going to do this whole overhaul. So that's my best advice is one thing at a time. Yeah. It's like the one day at a time thing. Choose <laughs> one new healthy habit to add in for 30 days and um, keep that habit going for 30 days. Master that and then add in something else new little by little by little. And that's, that's great. The best way to to stick with it. Be easy on yourself. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> we're so hard on ourselves for so many years. That's all we were was hard on ourselves. We thought we were doing ourselves a favor drinking and do it, but no, we were not. So no. now we finally get to be easy on ourselves. Yeah. It's, it's really, um, that's, that's another thing that, that I struggle with is the be easy on yourself, John. And which is not to say that I'm going to, um, accept my own bullshit either. So right. I, I, I always have to make that, that distinction of like, okay, well, are you going to be easy on yourself or are you making excuses for yourself, John? Yeah. And so yeah. It's, uh, that's always a thing where I'm like, is this an excuse or are you being kind? Right. Yeah. Give yourself mm. gr grace and space. And not, mm. I, that's very good. Definitely need to acknowledge that because then, yeah, we can fall into, we just fall into, like you said, our own bullshit where we're like, oh no, it's okay. And it's like, no, it's not okay. <laughs> you need to keep doing it, stay on the path, but don't, you know, be so, just don't give yourself such a hard time with these big expectations of, right. you know, things and give yourself a little grace. So cool. this is awesome. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, where can people find you if they would like to contact you for further information? Um, yes. Okay. So you can, on Instagram, I'm at Keola Rains, K-I-O-L-A. R-A-I-N-E-S. I'm sure that'll be somewhere here in the podcast notes. Yes. And then my website is just the same thing. It's my first name, keolarains.com. K-I-O-L-A-R-A-I-N-E-S.com. And you can DM me or send me a message there. And I love what I do. I'm a huge geek for just nutrition. It's being able to like have, share my passion um, is, it's, it's amazing, especially in the recovery world. Like I never yeah. thought that I was going to be talking about nutrition and fitness and recovery. Never would have thought that. And it's like, Oh, it all makes sense now. Okay. So thank you so much for having You're me. You're welcome. I'm glad you are. Thank you so much. And, um, I look forward to talking to you again, perhaps about nutrition and fitness. Yeah, definitely. Right. Cool. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>